Please take your Bibles and open with me to the book of Romans, chapter 6. We'll study verses 20 through 23. Romans chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. Hear the word of the living God. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin... And have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise be to him who gave himself for us, the one who hung on the cross, the one who spoke and in himself was the word made flesh that dwelt among us. He is no silent God, and he has given us this wonderful gospel that we would know him, love him, and be saved by him. Let's pray together. O Father in heaven, we have read the scriptures And now we look to you as needy people for understanding. Lord, open the scriptures to us that it may be a light to shine into the depths of our persons. That our souls will be revealed and exposed by the light of your righteousness. Oh Lord, I pray that as your children, you will teach us how we ought to live. Oh Lord, as servants of your high and wonderful kingship. Help us to learn godly obedience, that we may look like you, sound like you, and be like you, and expect that we will always and forever live with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What has sin to do with the Christian life? This is a very simple question. You may even think it's a little bit of a strange one. You may say, rightly, well, sin has nothing to do with the Christian life. It's the antithesis, the opposite of what a Christian ought to want to do. It's a different culture. It's a heart turned away from the God of Scripture. And that's right. But in honesty, don't we struggle with this? Anybody in the room that is free from sin, please do raise your hand. I better put my hands in my pockets. You see? All of us struggle over the question. We're sinners. Our hearts are sinful. But if we are Christians, we have to confront the sin that we struggle with in our lives. And we need an answer to the question of since we have been saved... How then do we deal with the sin that we regularly struggle with? And that's what Paul is concerned with. In fact, you might say that's one of the great themes, if not the great theme, of the whole of chapter 6. And he's pursued it in verse 1 with the first question, and then again in verse 15 with the second question. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And Paul answers emphatically, By no means. 
And so here in verses 20 through 23, we pick up right where we left off last week. And we see chapter 6 closed. This is a summarizing statement. We're returning to previous themes. But I just want to tell you, friends, Christians, this points at you. Paul is writing to professing, believing Christians. This is for me. This is for you. And the two things that I want us to see in the text, and I think these are quite clear uh, from the verses of Scripture. In verses 20 and 21, sin demands everything and it gives nothing. Sin demands everything and it gives nothing. And then secondly, in verses 22 and 23... Grace demands nothing and gives everything. Grace demands nothing and gives everything. And so in verse 20, we come to the first thing that I want you to see. That sin demands everything and it gives nothing. And I want to remind you once again that the context we are in in the whole of chapter 6, is really in the pursuit of answering these two questions. Verse 1 gives us this question, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul's answer, by no means. Then again, in chapter 6, verse 15, the other question that we looked at last week and were introduced to, it's almost identical. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And again, the simple answer, by no means. And Paul is digging right down, once again, to this central concern. And it's this, that Christians will see their salvation. That we will know that we are free from the wrath of God and the punishment for our sins. And that we will misunderstand that we've been given a free opportunity to sin without consequences, without any concern for punishment, without any concern about the wrath of God or the offense that we commit against God. Moreover, that we as Christians, knowing we are free from the punishment of sin, may think that sin is a little bit neutral for us. We don't have its punishment, and really it doesn't have any meaningful effect on us or on our lives. And here in verse 20, Paul returns to this theme, this illustration of slavery. And he's already addressed it, that this is speaking in human terms. He's giving you a bit of an illustration, understanding that it's not true slavery, that yes, it's an illustration or a way to describe to you a spiritual reality. The soul's capacity, the soul's relationship to sin in the life of a Christian. And let's read verse 20 together. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And if you're reading and you have a decent level of literacy, you might say, well, hang on a second, what does this mean? A slave to sin and free from righteousness. 
the, so I'm, I'm enslaved, but yet I'm free. And how does this even shake out? Because I, I think this text can be a little confusing, at least in a basic reading of it. You'll think, wow, is Paul saying some opposite thing? How can you be enslaved to sin and then free to do any sort of righteousness? But I want to take this in parts, because there are really two parts of verse 20. And the first thing he's saying to us, describing to us, is that the relationship of the heart of people, before they've known Christ, that relationship of the heart of people to sin is an analogy or like slavery. It's like the authority of a slave master over a slave. And he's saying, in essence, that slavery, if this is a correlation, a thing like Uh, that which he is describing is this, that sin owns people. Head to toe, it's a master over people. Sin calls people to bow down to it in submission. Sin points a finger at the heart of every man, every woman, and every child, and it simply says, you will do what I say, and you'll do it when I say it. It's an unquestioning authority that Paul is putting before you, that sin in every part of the person, in every part of the thoughts, the heart, and the affections, All of these things are being called and pressed into service to somebody else. Moreover, if you think of the comparison, you have to understand this terrible dynamic. That a slave is not a hired laborer. Slaves don't have rights. Slaves obey their masters absolutely, and when they don't, they are punished by their masters according to the kind or wicked disposition and temper of the master himself. And there's no question in the life of a slave they are simply there to do what they are told. And Paul is saying sin is the slave master of the souls of everyone who isn't in Jesus Christ. It demands everyone's obedience absolutely. Another aspect to this, and this is, I hope, quite simple, is that a slave does not receive pay. They're owned, they're property. If anything, they're used as payment, one person to another. They don't receive pay. They they might receive a very uncomfortable place where they can basically survive. But the survival of a slave is quite far from what we would consider living. I mean, yes, they have the biological functions of life, but really the the comfort of life, the joy of life, all of these things for the slave are reduced, especially in harsh situations, to basic survival. There's no climbing of a ladder. There's no better home. There's no time off. A slave is in most simple terms and in the worst situations a person exploited and used as an object for another person's gain. And Paul is saying, Christian, brother and sister, let me simply tell you that before Christ, that's who you were and sin was your 
master. And in every part of your life, it took from you and it gave nothing to you. And it demanded everything from you. As simple as that. And I want to say to you, friends, quite simply, and this is something that Paul has already insisted on. That's why this is a two-point sermon. It really is quite black and white in the scriptural text. Is that sin is not a free option to the Christian. It isn't a method or a pathway to cheap thrills and quick satisfaction. It calls you to obedience to a very cruel and deadly master. You can't play with this. It's worse than fire. It's more dangerous than plague. And it's more absolute even than the rule of law. Paul goes on, and in the second portion of verse 20, he says, While you were once slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And I think that can be significantly confusing to most people. And what does Paul mean? And again, I want to encourage you. He's he's not saying that, yes, you were slaves to sin, but even still you were free to do whatever righteousness that was there in life, as if it's option A or option B. You could sin or you could not sin. You could sin or you could do holy things. Instead, he's referring to authority, and he's framing it in terms, again, of absolute authority on the part of sin. That people under sin, they're owned by sin. And they don't have any real, meaningful relationship to the call of righteousness. Because their slave master's authority says simply, you will do my bidding, and the bidding of sin is sin. That's what you'll do. And so in a sense, the person who is in slavery to sin is free from the demands of righteousness because they are not allowed to obey it. In very basic terms, I want to say simply this within the person who has not known Christ and not been made free from sin. Sin is all that they have the capability to do. It's not as if there's always an ebb and flow, always an open opportunity. No, it's absolute slavery. It's bondage. It's terrible, and there is no freedom And in verse 21, Paul then takes this truth that he has established in verse 20 with indicatives, as it were, and then he asks questions of his readers. He's asking you a question, a real one. He's asking the question also to his readers in the city of Rome. And the question is this, in light of that slavery, in light of it all and its absolute rule, therefore what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? Again, the first portion of verse 21 makes it so very clear. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to you, to me, to professing people. He's saying, think back, ask yourself the question, search your hearts. Look into the dark closets of the things that you once did And ask yourself the question, where was the benefit? 
Where was the fruit? What did you gain out of all those things that right now, as a Christian, you are ashamed of? It's pretty simple. And I can put it into very basic terms. Christian, think of the things you don't want me or anybody in this room to think of, to know of about you, the darkest parts of your soul. Paul's saying, think on that and ask yourself the question, where has it given you life giving nutrition and gain. Can you come up with anything? Well, I think the apostle asks himself the same question and he answers his own question and he tips the cards and I think he helps us say what I think so many of us may be, well, a little bit terrified to say on our own, that we gain nothing. Not only did we gain nothing, there was nothing in it of life. Paul's answer to the question is this, that the end of those things, those sins, those things we once did, the end of those things, its product is death. And it's blunt and it's black and white. It's as white and black as life and death. He's saying all those things you once did in sin, all those things that gratified the affections of a sinful heart, those things you're ashamed of, those things you don't want anybody to know, those things gave you nothing but the savor of death and death in itself. And it's stark. And there's no pinprick of life. There's no good way to spin this. It's just one answer, and it's a simple answer. As we consider this, this, this idea that a life in service to sin is it's bondage, that it, it doesn't help and it doesn't produce life, and that it doesn't give uh, fulfillment and, and help, I want to share with you a little excerpt from one of my heroes in the Christian faith, Augustine, the pastor of a North African town called Hippo. You may have heard of him. And he wrote a famous book called His Confessions. And this is one of the most famous uh, portions of this ancient book that we've received in modern day. Augustine, describing an event in his life, a sinful event, he says this. We carried off a huge load of pears, not to eat ourselves, but to dump out to the hogs. You see, he's talking about stealing pears from a neighbor, somebody he knows or somebody in his neighborhood, stealing them. We carried off a huge load of pears, not to eat ourselves, but to dump out to the hogs after barely tasting some of them. Doing this pleased us all the more because it was forbidden. It was foul And I loved it. I loved my own undoing. Not that for which I sinned, but I loved the sin itself. A depraved soul falling away from security in God to destruction in itself, seeking nothing from the shameful deed but shame itself. Sin does not give you gifts. The pear wasn't to give him food. It was for wicked desire that he then threw off to hogs to eat. He delighted in its wickedness. 
He loved his own undoing, as he said. He only was in it for the shame and the shame itself. And he gained nothing. And that's so important that we hear this. Because Paul is saying to you and to me, Christians, that if you engage in sin in this life of faith, in this life of hope, in this life with Christ, you should not expect to receive anything but its own horrid fruit that cannot nourish you, that cannot help you, and that will not give you life. And I want to tell you again, and I want it to ring in your ears, and I want you to leave thinking on this, that there is nothing in sin that can fill you. There is nothing in sin that is life-giving. There is nothing in sin that is life-affirming or affirming of you as a person. It can't give that to you. The only thing that sin can give you is death. So then, Christian, what do you do with that sin? What do you do with that desire? What do you do when you're considering this or that various action that is inevitably against God? Well, you run from it. You turn away from it. You don't look to it and say simply this, my sexual desires, my sexual needs, those things will be fulfilled in the things that I do with the woman or the man that God has not given to me. That's going to make me happy. It's just a lie. It's a ruse. It can't fulfill you. It'll destroy your family. It'll destroy your relationship with God. It will destroy your relationship even with the other one that is in the illicit affair with you. If I'm angry and I let the anger bubble over like a volcano erupting and I take it out, oh, I'll feel so much better. I just need to get it out. But at what expense? The incineration of every other person in the room whether family members or co-workers or strangers on the street, an inevitability of a heart of sinful release is that it only destroys. It's not going to make you feel better, but rather it's going to make you feel infinitely worse. The hard situation that you find yourself in is terrible. And you put yourself there, it's terrible. You got there by lying and you think to yourself, well, one more lie, I'll be able to cover it over. No one will know, no one will, I'll get by with this one. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay, I just want to sin. I want to tell an untruth because I'd rather put faith in that than in coming forward with it and relying on God's mercy. One more sin, one more lie. What's inevitably going to happen? An implosion. No one can trust a thing from your mouth and everybody thinks that everything you've ever said is suspect. A pack of lies to destroy a mountain of truths and a life destroyed and a credibility undercut that can scarcely ever be gotten again. Sin cannot give you what you're looking for. And Paul is asking us to examine it and to simply say, did I ever get anything but chains and death? And his answer is simply this to the Christian, no. Sin is no bedfellow to the Christian life, the new life and the call to righteousness. It is the opposite. It is death. And in Christ there is life. 
There in verse 22, we transition. Remember I said there are two points to the sermon that I feel are quite clear from the text of Scripture. Verse 22, we begin Paul's emphasis that grace demands nothing and gives everything. And you can see the transition. You've got the words, but now. And just as as you attend our services and you're learning how to read your Bible, I hope from the way we handle the scripture in the services and sermons, when you see the word but in scripture, you need to stop and take a moment to pay attention. There's a transition. In fact, I think these three letters are uh, they're kind of the herald letters, the, the word that says, hey, grace is coming. Sin always comes first, but, and then there's always grace. And that's what we have here. But now, uh, these huge words where Paul is saying, that's what was, but now, Christian, you have been set free from sin. And again, I want to tell you, Paul is writing to Christians, people like you, like me, like he's writing to our church, people who are real and who struggle with sin. If Christians in the Bible didn't struggle with sin, he wouldn't have written this. If Paul didn't know what a struggle with sin was in his own life, he couldn't have written this. And the thing that he's telling you at the beginning of verse 22 is that things have changed for you if you're a Christian. You were once in chains, you were once helpless, you once had slavish obedience to a deadly master, but now, Christian, through your faith in Christ, you've been set free. This is in the life of the Christian. It's not a thing at the end of the road, but it's now. That's the thing I want to point out to you. The freedom of the Christian is not a thing that you eventually grow into, but it's a thing that you currently have, Christian. You may be saying, Pastor, i got sins that I really struggle with. I say, yeah, I understand. Me too. Me too. i got sins that I need to kill and I need to keep dead. And every time they try to be zombies and pop their head back up, I need to go at them again and put them back in the grave and bury them right back and take the shovel and add an extra foot of dirt, a couple meters on top. But Paul is telling me that I am not a man in chains anymore. That those sins, even if they take their head and pop them up out of the grave and try to grasp at me, that I don't have a place in the grave. That it doesn't have a claim on me. That sin's not my master. That I can look sin absolutely in the face and say, no, and I'm going to wage war with you. Jesus Christ is my Lord and I don't have to bow a knee to anybody but him. I'm a different person. I'm a different man. I'm not who I once was. Now, right now, in him, in his blood, I have freedom. So Satan can come accusing, and he can come pointing fingers, and he can come calling me a whole world of insults and saying, your God can't love a horrible human being, a creature like you. And then I can simply say, Jesus' wounds declare his love for me. Now, Christian, right now, You have meaningful, true, real, and spiritual freedom from sin. And you may say, but, you know, I've got these things. I know that I'm a Christian. I believe in Christ. I'm very sure of that. But I'm struggling and I'm puzzled. It's hard for me to get my head around. Why do I still struggle with sin? Well, maybe it is simply this. That Christ has called you 
over the lifetime of your being his to more and more as his agent serve him and put down his enemy which is sin and death in your life you are as it were a soldier in the army of king jesus and his enemy is sin and we need to hear this because christians if you're like me and you sin and you struggle with a sin whatever it is You may think to yourself, well, am I in chains? Am I helpless? And sometimes you may feel helpless and you'll think, well, there's no help. And maybe you'll even think, well, am I even really a Christian? Am I, you know, do I have anything? And you'll, you'll wind up in a corner of despair and you'll be depressed in your Christian life. The thing that ought to be so foreign to the Christian, you'll be wondering, is there any security in Christ? And what Paul is saying to you is simply this, you are not a sin, a slave to sin, you don't belong to it anymore. It just needs to ring in your ears, in your hearts, that there's a change. You've been taken out of those chains. In fact, you belong to somebody else. The second part of verse 22, it says an interesting thing. We've already said some pretty harsh things about slavery. And then Paul returns to the language of slavery. He says that not only have you been free from sin, first part of 22, but that now you are enslaved to God. We've already seen this theme uh, last week in the previous verses, verses 19 through 15. An enslavement to righteousness, and now Paul's phrase changes just slightly. Enslaved to God, and what is he talking about? Because, Pastor, you've already told us that slavery, it's absolute bondage. It's, it's complete control. You're under the authority of someone. But did you catch the qualification? It is whether or not your master is gracious or wicked and exacting. That's what Paul's talking about. It's the authority that the Christian is under. You were once under a slave master pleased to kill you, and now you're under the authority of God who loves you and made you and sustains you. And his rule over you is absolute, and it does call you to obedience. And your master speaks, and he speaks wonderful words of scripture. His voice is sweet. His words are kind. And he says again and again and again in the words of scripture that you are his in Christ. And you're beloved and you're precious. And he loves you. Moreover, he doesn't even prefer to call you slaves, even though Paul sometimes adopts this language for himself. But he calls you what? He calls you other titles, wonderful titles, titles of affection like son and daughter, like bride and beloved, like redeemed, sanctified, glorified. There's a different thing in the life. You've been taken from chains and entrusted into the hands of a father. And then Paul pursues it in exactly the same uh, sort of conversation as you go on in verse 22. He doesn't ask you a question so much now, but he tells you this wonderful truth. Not only that you have a new Lord and Master, but that now you do get fruit. And the fruit that you get 
where does it lead? It leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. Now you're reading through this, and maybe you're scratching your head about the second portion. Grace demanded nothing of you. You were freed by nothing you did. And you were brought into the loving service of God. But here it gives you everything. And I do want you to know that, yes, it lists two fruits or two rewards of the fruit of God and of our relationship to him, sanctification and eternal life. But this is in all of it. It's, you know, these are the result or the thing that is at the end of the line of the fruits that the Lord gives to his people. I want to say that in the first point, it makes the most sense to understand that the first gift given to Christians, the first fruit, is the blood of Christ that washes us clean from sin. It's very simple. It is a cleansing from sin and the freedom that we give get from sin. Secondly, we're called righteous in Christ. You're no longer my enemy, but you're holy. And then you could go on and talk about the ideal of adoption, this wonderful gift of God, where he looks over you, included in his son, and he says, I love you. I love you, and I want to teach you the wonderful language and the wonderful culture of the household of God. I want to teach you what it means to be loved by a father. I want to teach you what it means to be in the embrace of your creator. And to have every gift, to have a father who hears you and a God who answers your prayers and a God who has all power and a God who is for you and loved you and gave his son for you. And we could continue the mountain of wonderful gifts and fruits that the Lord gives to his people. Encouragement, conviction of sin, the restraining grace where the shepherd has a crook and he takes the sheep or the lamb around the neck and pulls us back from disaster. There are multitudes of fruits given as we are servants of the God of heaven and not the least of which is found in this very room right next to you as you sit as a group of people called to Christ and called the church. Wonderful encouragement. Wonderful family. A household under a roof that strength is held up by the cross. But these two things, these ends of the fruit of God. Sanctification, the first one, You've heard this. It's a word that means to be holy. In simple terms, I want to say it means to be like God. Because God's holy. That in mind and body and soul, we become holy like he's holy. So that the thoughts of God enter into our minds and into our hearts, becoming our thoughts and becoming our affections. So that the things that we say sound like him because they are, our words are seasoned with his words. So that our deeds look like his because we are acting after Jesus who has gone before us and shown us how to live a life to God. Sanctification. If you belong to God, you're going to be like any servant. You're going to take on the household culture. You're going to be like any soldier in an army. You're going to wear the standard and carry the banner. Of your Lord, your master, your leader, your king. You're going to be like him. And it makes sense. 
But let me say, Christian, sanctification requires obedience in the heart of the Christian to wage war with sin. John Owen is famous to have said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And that's very real in the life of the Christian. And it is necessary if we will be like Christ, we will be engaged in warfare with sin. And then this end, this last goal, this ultimate gift, eternal life. You see, that stands in clear distinction from the former gift of sin, doesn't it? The only thing that sin can give as a gift is what? It's death. And he's saying a life in service to God is eternal life. This isn't like sin. This is life-giving. A life under God affirms your life. It affirms who you are in Christ. It also gives encouragement and it gives you what you need to grow and what you need to live and to flourish. And it's not only life temporally, temporarily, but life eternal, untouchable and wonderful. Verse 23, we have Paul's conclusion, and he's saying very much the same as he said in the former two verses, but there are two things that I want to point out to you uh, from verse 23. This isn't another entirely different point, but rather, again, uh, the summary of the whole chapter, the last word that he gives in chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What are the two things? Well, it's a distinction that Paul is making. That according to sin, you are given according to what you have done. You get a wage, like a worker, as it were. You know, I mentioned that in sin, if you're a slave, you're not given payment You're not given anything that's going to build you up in life. But the way that Paul here is describing the relationship to sin is that you get what you deserve. All the wickedness of the heart of you, of me, and of every man, woman, and child when it comes to sin, you're going to get what you deserve. And what is it that is inevitably going to be given to people who live lives of sin apart from Christ? Well, it's very, very simple. The only payment it has to offer is death. That's repetitive. But get this idea. Sin gives you what you deserve. Because in the second portion of this verse, verse 23, grace is different. Service to God is different. Being his servant, his slave is different. It's described like this. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What did he just say? It's not a wage. What you're given in the gospel as a servant of God and of Christ, it's a free gift. It's entirely gracious. It's not because of what you've done. Thank God it's not because of what we've done. Praise Christ it's not because of what we've done. It is a free gift with no payment of our own, but simply a payment by the Son as Christ hung on the cross and bled and died and gave himself for us that we might have everlasting and eternal life. What a wonderful distinction. The gospel is about not what we've done, but what God has done for us. And we can have nothing 
if we're apart from Christ. But in Christ we have everything. Do you know him? And Christian, will you see this? And will these wonderful truths minister to you and give you wonderful freedom over sin and victory in the struggles that you have in this life? That's already what you have if you are a Christian. Will you take it up and enjoy it? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the scriptures, all their wonderful graces. Lord, I do pray that you would teach our hearts to know these things, to understand them, and to receive them. Oh, Lord, that we would love Christ and all of the gifts that he offers to us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.